Professor Forever. I am the Professor Forever. I hope you're well. So I've been trying to get the little kinks out of this Audacity recording system. Tonight it sounds like it's kind of tinny and I'm not sure what to do. Andre! Where are you, Andre? Sometimes I need him. Anyway, I hope you're well. I'm recording at night which is something I never do, so I'm feeling a little crazy. The first thing I want to talk about is the title of my podcast, The Professor Forever. Someone mentioned to me that using the was very presumptuous. In fact, this person said it sounded biblical to them. Okay, I love Bible stories. Did you know that about me? Did you know that I collect Jesus movies? So, but I'm not really into the Bible the way other people are. I see it as a great work of literature. So I know a lot of the stories were retrofitted to fit, metaphorically fit, historical occurrences. Or this is what I believe. I should say it that way. I want you to believe the way you believe, and I will believe the way that I believe. But to get back to the the issue, it seems to come up with me sometimes, where people think I'm being arrogant. And I don't mean to say that I'm never arrogant, but oftentimes that is not my intent. For example, I think some people thought when I started professoring uh, at universities that I was bragging about lesson plans that I had come up with. I was not. I was just excited And I wanted to share my ideas of ways to reach students or ways to teach writing or ways to help uh, students with who are having trouble reading. I really was just excited. And so I would lay out my plans and I would bring up, bring them up to people. So the, the, I just thought was funny. I, like Megan the Stallion. But I wasn't trying to copy her 
or imitate her or rip off her copyright if she has it. I'm sure she does. I'm just writing it the way that I say it. Those of you who have been listening know I love sound. I just spelled it the way that I say it. So it's phonetically spelled. There's a girl who works at my pet co that I go to, and her name is Leslie, and her name is spelled L-E-S-S-L-E-E. And I was telling her the other day, I love your name because it's spelled phonetically. That, listeners, is what I'm attempting to do with the moniker, partial moniker, the. Nothing else. I'm not trying to say I'm the only professor who might profess forever. I just like the way it sounds. Is that okay? I hope so, because it's going to stay. Today, I'm going to talk about an iconic place in my mind and in my actual past location, my hometown. Well, outside my suburb, but in the greater area of Youngstown, which is where I'm from. It's the Canfield Fair. This is going to be my podcast number one on the Canfield Fair because I will be going to the Canfield Fair very soon. And I haven't been there in years, and I'm pretty excited about it. I want to see how much it has changed from my impressions that are absolutely stained in a good way, tattooed, if you will, upon my memory. So this is how I saw it when I started walking, which is probably when I started going to the fair or prior to that. The Canfield Fair And I've said this to people, I'm not sure that it's true, but I feel like it was true at one time, that it was the largest county fair in the country. It runs for five days. It ends on Labor Day. This is how it used to be. I haven't checked what's happening this time, but I think it's still the same. I have a poem about the Canfield Fair that I used to perform regularly on the circuit in the Chicago performance poetry scene and at my show, Yammer, called All's Fair Where Fair Is. Not going to take the time to recite it to you right now. However, I might bring up a few lines from it as I dive down into my memory banks and see the landscape of the Canfield Fair. I should point out, too, Canfield, and I think this still might be true, was one of the more, uh, what do I want to say, wealthy suburbs of Youngstown. The suburb that I was from, Austintown, an awesome place, uh, was a little more farmy than businessy. I feel like Canfield did have rolling hills and horses, but 
it had a little more money, a little more business income than did my suburb. So people kind of looked up to the people that lived in Canfield, and it was great that the fair was there. I have told a story about the Canfield Fair on this podcast before. It was a story of my antics when younger and being out on the fairgrounds and drinking and then being chased through the fairgrounds. I remember when that happened, I was so happy that I had been to the fair so many times. I know, or at least knew, the layout of the Canfield Fair, even in its breadth and depth, like the back of my hand. Okay. So the Canfield Fair. Everybody in my neck of the woods knows the Canfield Fair, loves to go there. There's great food there, great rides there. After my father died, my mother needed to have breaks from me. So she would send me away to stay with people sometimes. For example, I stayed with my cousin Judy, which was great because I got along well with her kids. Um, I was there for some time after my father died. My mother sometimes would send me to camp in the summertime. I really wanted to go to Camp Fitch. And that is the name of my high school, by the way. Camp Fitch allowed people to ride horses. But it was expensive, and my mother wanted me to go to Bible camp. It was awful. For another day. Bible camp stories. So when the Canfield Fair came around in the years right after my father's passing, my mother would hand me off to my aunt. My aunt was a missionary. She was awesome. I loved her. The only thing I didn't like about her was she would habitually grab children's cheeks and tweak them. And so she would twist on your cheek until it felt like it was going to snap off. I don't know why she thought that was a good thing to do. I always pulled my head away before there was any real damage, but I loved her anyway. She was a badass. She had polio and she was twisted up like a pretzel. And yet, she was always working in her gospel tents and going to church and doing church work. Her name was Edith, my Aunt Edith. So she had a tent, a child evangelism tent at the Canfield Fair every year. And my mother, who was close to her sister Edith, would drop me off with Edith and then go take her break doing whatever she did. And I was supposed to be hanging around the child evangelism tent. One of the main draws to that tent was this, I think it was a wooden 
poster, like a wooden sign. And on it was painted this this boy who was wearing a barrel. Barney in the barrel. I don't remember the story exactly, but it was about an orphan who was really, really poor. He lived in this barrel and used it for clothing. And then, but somehow he became a Christian and then a Christian icon. A martyr, perhaps? I don't know. Look it up. Barney in the barrel. Of course, there was also the book with no words, right? That tells the story, the biblical story of God's salvation. Well, I liked my aunt, but I didn't hang around the child evangelism tent for very long. So I would go off on my own, exploring the fair. Those of you who are young, you have no idea, probably, unless you came from a, a family of ill repute. Now, people are so safe with their children. But back in my day, I could wander the streets. I could wander the fair by myself as a 10-year-old child without fear. I'm sure, you know, crime did happen then and 10-year-olds were taken away, but it wasn't something that was in the news all the time. And so parents didn't think about it. And so we were allowed to do that. And I am not sorry that I grew up then because I really liked that freedom. So I would make my way around the Canfield Fair. Oh my God, one of the first places that I always stopped was the Wall of Death. Do you know the Wall of Death? It is like this round wooden silo that a motorcycle rider, a daredevil, would start riding at the bottom and then come up the walls and do acrobatic tricks. He would come so close to where you could look over the top of the the wall of the silo. And then another rider would uh, join him and they would do all these crisscrosses. Actually, I think that this still happens as a vintage act um, in certain fairs, but it was a staple of the Canfield Fair. And morbid as I am and was even as a child, of course, I was always waiting for that motorcycle accident to happen. Never happened. I remember so clearly <laughs> the Culligan man. Okay, Culligan was a water purification systems company. A Culligan man, right? So that you could have purified water for your water heater, for your laundry, and to drink. So this was back in the 60s and 70s. I think it was national. I'm not sure. Uh, but they played the commercials a lot in my town. Hey, Culligan Man! Somebody calling the Culligan Man. So they had a tent and they had this prop outside their tent, which was a huge spigot with water coming out of it. And I was mystified as to how this spigot was just 
floating in midair with water coming out of it. I think you have to turn a certain age before you can figure out the trick. I bet you could figure out the trick, those of you who are listening. I'm not going to tell you. And then you could get a nice cup of water at the Culligan tent. I remember watching the Boy Scouts helping people across the rope ladder or the rope bridge. So you could try to go up and cross the rope bridge. Of course, there was straw or something underneath it. So in case you twisted up and flew off the rope bridge, you wouldn't break your neck. And in the background was playing rock and roll part two. Hey, 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 Gary Glitter, man. What a fabulous summer song of 1969. Somewhere around that year. But that's the year that I remember it playing with the image of the Boy Scouts. A recruiting tent, no doubt. There was this weird psychedelic bus or trailer that you could go in. It didn't even take tickets, not like a ride. And you would go in there and you could sit down on the floor like a sit-in. And it was like a sit-in because there were psychedelic images, kaleidoscope images and Lava lamp images superimposed and burning up film. And there were hippies in the background and flower girls. And it was very 60s hippie land. I used to go in there with one of my favorite people in the world. She whose name will not be mentioned. Only because... I want to keep her anonymous for propriety's sake, but she was the first girl I ever kissed. And we would go into this trailer and sit there for an hour, just holding hands and pretending we were other people. Oh, I can still see it. So then... After a while, my sister Bonnie became old enough to be my guardian, and I'm putting that in finger hooks, of the Canfield Fair. Uh, she was in uh, the Christian group Youth for Christ, and they had a tent. Oh, I remember them singing. First of all, I loved being able to go into the back of a tent at the fair, it made me feel so special and so carny-like, you know? You can pull open the fold and go in the back. And so that's where they kept all their stuff. They had a song that they would sing. So it was kind of like the child evangelism tent, but for teenagers. They were recruiting for this group that met at high schools, Youth for Christ. They did this great song. Master, designer, whoever you are, who put you there in the sky so blue? 
Did you just happen to float along? La 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 in the sky so blue, so blue, so blue. It's a lovely song. Of course, I don't know the real lyrics, but I'm giving you impressions as I remember them. The guy that ran the Youth for Christ group out of our church was a real a-hole. He used, we'll call him K-C-M. That's his initials, his actual initials. He was an awful person. And he used to say to me, you need to get your act straight. You need to contain yourself. You're too wild. You talk too much. You don't listen enough. You don't conform. You need to conform. He was one of the first men that started telling me this tirade about how I should be and how I should calm myself, and how I should contain myself and restrain myself. I hated him. Horses. So many animals at the Canfield Fair. At that time, you could go up and pet the horses. I remember my brother telling me, he showed his horse there. He was telling me that Kids could sleep in the hay bunks above their horses' stalls. Yeah. Now, you can't get anywhere near someone's horse at a fair. They don't want any touching. They don't want any whistling. Again, so happy that I grew up when I did so that I could see horses and pet them and see cows and pet them. Now, goats, you can get away with these days. But horses, no way. And here's a memory I have, and I have not decided if this was real or a dream. But I think it was real. There were freaks at the Canfield Fair. There was a whole midway that had Snap Wyatt freak banners that showed the fat lady, the skinny man, the electrode guy that could conduct a current through a Tesla coil, and there were the lobster people. So they had this deformity of their limbs, right? So they only had... uh, like a thumb and a baby finger, and they the rest of their hand was all malformed. So it looked like a claw, and it operated like a claw. And sometimes their feet were like that too. I don't know the name of the deformity. I'm sorry that I can't tell you that, but they would come and just sit in a tent and just live their life. They had a kitchen, they would fix meals, they had a TV and a living room set up, and they would just sit on the couch, and people would just pay to go into this tent and walk by. I started talking 
with the lobster people. And they told me, one of them told me, we don't care if people want to spend their money coming in to look at us, so be it. And I really believe that they felt that way. I know it's very um, PI, politically incorrect, to think about people being on display for their genetic uh, makeup, whatever that might be. But these people seem to just enjoy the fact that they were on the road, they met people like me who like to talk to them, and the other people they just didn't give a hoot about. And they didn't have to work very hard. They just had to be who they were. They are imprinted on my memory. They have to be real. My relationship with them had to be real. I went back every year to see them. And it was the same family. And then one year they were gone. And then over successive years, more and more of the people that were on the midway that were performing under this freak name were gone. You ever see the movie Freaks? Anyway, what do you think about that? What do you think about, is this, is this something that I should not have even brought up? That I went through, that I paid money to have some kind of relationship with these people? I really enjoyed their company. And I did not have a lot of company at that time in my life. I had people watching me, but... I was kind of alone. I was kind of a lonely girl after my dad's suicide. And I liked strangers that I could interact with. So. Okay, that's the end. That was Canfield Fair Part 1. Next week, Canfield Fair Part 2. After I go back to the Canfield Fair. Thanks for listening, scholars. Keep thinking. She's got no lessons planned for me Because she's not that fancy She's a professor forever Professor forever